Freddie Collins, or Freddie Forte as some of you may know him, he and I have a history of being in a studio together. Initially the love of music, but this time we're behind the microphone for a different cause. I approached Freddie about doing a podcast focusing on repairing race relations to try and alleviate some of the tensions that we're experiencing in the USA currently, and hopefully have each side, or all sides from all racial backgrounds rather, gain a better understanding of the other so that we may all be able to coexist peacefully. I reached out to Freddie specifically because I noticed he had a little previous experience with podcast. He's insightful and a good friend of mine who just happens to be of a different race than myself. This is repairing race relations. We have to start somewhere. We are glad you chose that somewhere to be here. Welcome to You Didn't Ask For My Opinion. This is Freddie Forte, and welcome to the upcoming series that we are doing called Repairing Race Relations, or simply R3. Uh, me and my buddy Brian, uh, we've been friends for a long time. We um, started talking, and he came up with an idea of putting together a group of people to discuss um, some of the things that are happening in this country. And uh, I said, yeah, let's do it. So we got together, and we put together a survey online for people to ask whatever questions they wanted and uh, the ones that generated the most buzz were selected and uh, we ended up putting five questions together and uh, we're going to break these up over the course of a few episodes for us to just get the full effect of the entire um, in just the entire process so if you will take a moment wherever you are um, sit back and um turn your ears all the way up because this is just an opportunity for us to learn and grow from each other. Uh, I'm not an expert on anything. Everything that I shared was simply my opinion. And you'll hear me say that <laughs> in this first episode um, as well. But the whole point is for you to hear different perspectives and for you to draw your own conclusions from there. But either way, we're trying to repair uh, a lot of brokenness that is uh, evident here in this country. So uh, this is our attempt at doing so, and we thank you for being with us. All right, all right. Welcome to Repairing Race Relations. Uh, I have been looking forward to having this forum for a while, and I'm really, really excited about you know, just jumping in and getting some of these questions answered. Uh, so what we're going to do, um, I posted this, uh, some of the questions on a group that I started a couple of, a couple of days ago called World in Worship. And for those of you that are listening, if you ever want to join it, it's on Facebook. Again, it's called World and Worship. And all of the questions were posted there. And uh, we had a lot of people answer. And it was, um, I think it was some thoughtful conversation. I know Brian and I definitely had some uh, good feedback that we saw and Curtis saw some of it as well. We're going to go ahead and get started with the first question because I know a lot of people are wanting some answers to some of these questions here because it seems like there's a lot of tension here in America. And uh, 
we're not saying that this podcast is going to solve any of that because look, people have done forums and people have done so many other uh, podcasts and all of these things to get up at. This is just another source um, to hear, you know, the perspective of individuals here. We are just individuals living our lives and everything that we are answering are, is from our own perspective and research that we looked at. So, that being said, let's go ahead and start with the first one. And anyone that wants to tackle this, you can go ahead and start. Uh, first question has actually been combined to two questions. So that question is, why is it that white uh, people are the only ones called racist? And how do you make people understand white privilege? I'll ask you one more time. Why is it that white people are the only one called racist? How do you make people understand white privilege? So let's start with the first half of that. Why is it that white people are the only ones called racist? Whoever wants to answer it, go for it. Well, this is Ron, and um, it's an interesting question. And I think it's a matter of semantics uh, because racism, at least the dictionary definition of it, is a condition of the heart, a feeling, uh, a belief, okay? And it's basically saying, I believe that because of these characteristics that I have, that I am superior to you. That is racism. Where people run into difficulty is that um, the people who are usually on the receiving end of racism are being discriminated against. And so, the dictionary definition of racism doesn't take discrimination into account. So when you hear a black person say that I can't be racist, they're basically saying that I don't have the power to discriminate against you. And so therefore, that's why the people that are in the dominant position are usually considered the only ones who have the, not only the belief, but the ability to act out on it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So the reason why some people uh, will, will say that black people or people of color can't be racist is really, in theory, they can be racist because they could believe certain things about white people based on the color of their skin. So it, it's entirely possible. But the difference is that while white people are in the majority and have the power to act on those feelings, those beliefs, people that are in the minority don't have that power, at least not in a broad sense. Uh, now, I have a white friend who will tell you that if he goes into a predominantly black neighborhood, he's going to be discriminated against. And in fact, I, I'd say that's a very educational experience for a lot of white people to have, because it brings in some clarity to the, to the question. So that's my thought, my take on it. The fact is, the dictionary definition of racism is one thing, but the worldly application of racism in other words it's not just the feeling it's not just the belief it's the power to discriminate and to have an impact on people that lead folks to believe as they do now, and in fact i'll tell you the dictionary definition is changing um, a young lady i read earlier this year petitioned to have that definition changed because she felt that it was causing too many people to avoid the central question which is who has the power to act on their racist feelings and racist beliefs. And so uh, Merriam-Webster is actually modifying the definition of racism in the dictionary, even as we speak. Awesome. I do have a definition because uh, one of my friends in the um, in the thread that we post or whatever, he, he's been like one of my best friends since uh, 98. So uh, when I started high school, so wow, 20, was it 22 years? Um, like and yeah, <laughs> so yeah, 22 years, and uh, and him and I don't agree on this. 
And um, he said that, uh, you know, he gave a definition of racism that he found. And then I pulled up another one. I think, Ron, this is kind of what you were saying. Because uh, the definition I have here says, the belief that different races possess distinct characteristics, abilities, or qualities, especially so as to distinguish them as inferior or superior to one another. Um, and as just at the end of the day, an individual, you know, if they if they feel that they can be, you know, superior to another race, that would, you know, basically indicate that they are racist. And while, you know, uh, I'm not going to spend much time on it because I definitely want to hear your thoughts. I agree with you that, you know, at this point in time, black people have not risen to a, uh, uh, a level here in America where we can say that we are in a position of power, no matter how many times people try to use celebrities or, you know, people that have wealth or people that have their own homes or things like that, or even using Barack Obama being the first black president, that does not indicate this because the individual case-by-case studies does not indicate that black people have risen to a level to where we are superior to other races. And therefore, that is a very difficult thing to say that we are racist. Now, can we have prejudice? Yes, absolutely. But we're not in a position of power um, for us to be called uh, racist, not at, not at this point in time yet. See, that's where we get into the semantics of it, because people do get caught up in the dictionary definition. You know, and as I said before, racism, I can certainly believe, and some black people do believe, that because of the way whites have treated people of color, women and others over the generations, that there is a moral deficiency in white people. And for me to believe that, that there's somehow that being white makes them morally deficient, that would make me a racist. But again, the, the definition of racism is being expanded to include the power equation. Right. Who actually has the power to act on those feelings, those beliefs. And that, you know, one of the things about the English language is that it's not static. And so I know people may push back on that definition. And that's one of the reasons why Webster is changing it, because they believe that leaving it at the point where it's all about what I believe as an individual doesn't go into full a full description of what racism is in terms of its impact on a broader scale you know as you pointed out you can't point to uh, individuals and indicate that because these individuals have been successful that that represents how it is for the entire group as a collective i mean all you have to do is look at the overall statistics on wealth education attainment uh economic attainment all of those things blacks are lagging and it's not just because they're morally deficient. And in fact, the belief that they would be morally deficient is just an example of racism in and of itself. Uh, there, right. there's a, one of the things I've learned, and I learned this late in life, is that a lot of American history really sanitizes what happened to black people from the moment they landed on these shores until the 1964 Civil Rights Act was enacted. I mean, and we're talking about things that if they happened to any other organization or group over a sustained period of centuries, uh, there would be a form of multi-generational trauma, PTSD, if you will, that would affect an entire people. We don't have any problem believing that an individual who grows up in a dysfunctional family and carries that dysfunction from generation to generation is going to continue to struggle. But for some reason, we don't extend that same courtesy to an entire people group that have been subjected subjected to multi-generational trauma. Mm. It's really good, Ron. Thank you. So uh, one thing I, I do want to look up because, uh, as you know, a couple of my friends and a couple of family members, and this was this was a fun part of that forum where uh, 
we had a couple of people who gave their opinion and instantly the next person said something and was like, wow, that's, that's a disgusting thing that you put all of us in one category. Now, the two individuals that were having this discussion slash argument were both white. And one person that answered the question said, um, they're not the only ones called racist. Other races have been called racist. But I don't think that reverse racism is a thing. Racism is about power and thinking your race is superior, which is how the white race has acted since the beginning of forever. Now, the individual that wrote that, um, they don't, they don't pull punches. They don't, they don't hold their tongue. They just basically say what's on their mind. The next individual that jumped in said, that's a disgusting thing uh, for you to put every white person in that category. And that started uh, as a chain of comments that went 133 comments total. So it was kind of crazy that, you know, we had so many people that, you know, kind of chimed in on it. Like they were going back and forth and I kind of stepped in for a little bit. Um, but even there, uh, a big thing that I, I think that needs to be pointed out is that when it's, you know, when individuals say that white people are racist, I think we need to understand as well, we're not talking about everybody because there are individuals that some of you may have had, you know, moments in your life where things have happened or, you know, things said or done or, or like that, where you may have had thoughts of, you know, racist thoughts or thoughts of prejudice, you know, so, something like that. And I'm not saying that it wasn't possible, but not everybody is that way. There are a lot of people that are fighting to make changes. There are a lot of people that are allies, and we don't want to discredit the individuals because they are white, but it is something that we need to know and understand that as a whole, um, white people here in America have not been known for being kind and compassionate when it comes to other races. So um, when people see this question, because I know a lot of people get hung up on the words, please understand that we are not talking about all white people, but we are talking about the ones who act uh, and conduct themselves in a manner that, by definition, the definition that has been um, issued here would fall under being racist. Those are the individuals that we are. So, with that being said, if we can, let's go to the next question, uh, the next part of that question, which is how do you make people understand white privilege? And uh, if this is another one of those moments where you guys are listening, that's fine. But if you have something that you want to jump in on, please, uh, the floor is yours. All right, all right. Okay, so I'm just guessing by that silence that this will be my opportunity to speak as well. Um, so the biggest thing for me, and it's really hard to explain because every time I, you know, I run into someone, you know, I mentioned privilege, these are the things that they say. Something along the lines of, I didn't grow up rich. I had to work for everything I own. Um, I don't have these privileges. I don't understand what you're talking about. You know, I don't have all, a lot of money. I didn't got all this other stuff. They keep referring it to um, monetary or material things as to what would indicate privilege. I think a, an important thing to understand that it has a lot more to do with uh, things that you can or, you know, quote unquote, get away with or other things that you would um, have a easier time of obtaining rather than, oh, just individual, oh, it's like it's how much money you have or, you know, things like that. So, for an instance, um, my family and I, we, you know, we ride our bikes and stuff like that. And every once in a while, you know, we'll come across uh, someone we don't know 
And if it was my wife by herself and she sees a new person, she waves, that's probably the end of it because, you know, I mean, we're new to this area. We live in, uh, here in the city, the city that we live in right now for three months. So we're, we're kind of brand new to it. Uh, for us, if she sits there and she waves at an individual, that's the end of it. You know, you're not thinking more of it. You know, oh, you don't know this person, but it's okay. They look like they would live in this neighborhood, so it's not a big deal. Me, my guard is always up because I, more than likely, do not look like I live in this neighborhood. So if I'm waving, I'm communicating, I'm speaking more, I'm saying a lot more than I would usually do to indicate, hey, I'm here, nice to meet you, for people to know who I am. I'm going out of my way to try to introduce myself so that people don't give me more static. My wife has the privilege of just being able to ride her bike with no problem. No one's going to try to check her on something. Um, that is an example what privilege would be. Other things where people talk about, you know, well, I didn't grow up in, you know, a rich neighborhood or something like that. Here's the thing, though. If we go back and we look at, and we, you know, we always make you, um, bring it back to the beginning of how things were here in the country, and you think of how blacks were brought here, they were brought here for slavery. They were not paid for the work they'd done. They were whipped, they were beaten, they were raped, they were murdered. And then finally people stood up and said, this is wrong, so we fought, you know, there was a war that fought. We were free, but there wasn't anything set in place for us to be able to live equally. And we are still fighting for these things today. The fact that amendments had to be made for us to be equal, the fact that laws had to be put in place for people to marry someone outside of a race. The fact that you had to go through all of these things for us to be, uh, um, sorry, integrated into schools and for segregation to go down. Like, I mean, literally, we had signs up saying you couldn't use this drinking fountain. You had to use this one here. You couldn't get into the same restaurant. You had to order your food and go, to, you know, from the back alley. Like, things like that. Those are instances of privilege. And though that doesn't exist anymore, those examples, the fact of the matter is, you still have people that are struggling in neighborhoods thanks to redlining that are still trying to make it. And because of property taxes there, um, feed into the school system because everything is still trash, you have school systems that are still suffering as a result of redlining. That right there is a thing of privilege where you, know, you have these you know, more fancier schools and everything modified and updated and, and things like that. And these kids are thriving. And you see the success stories here, but you don't see them so much over here on this side of town because this side of town has been neglected. And when people, you know, look at this part of the town and they think, oh, all the, you know, bad people and troublemakers come here and you realize that the only people that live there are minorities, there's a problem. Again, when you have this, you know, this side over here that's kind of struggling, you have this side over here that's thriving and working, that's a position of privilege. And so the chances of you ending up in this neighborhood is a lot higher for a white person than it would be for someone that was black person because of the laws that were put in place, you know, to do that. There's still a lot of things that are, you know, that are making it really difficult for people to understand what privilege is, but that's a start, at least on my end. Hey, so this is, this is Curtis. Um, you know, this is, this has been a, um, a challenging thing to accept, right? So. Uh, you know, Freddie, you and I have talked about this a lot, and, and a lot of what you mentioned was <laughs> literally ripped from some of our conversation. Um, yeah. You know, I'm a white guy, um, but I'm, I'm actually the uh, the pivotal 
uh, quote unquote problem with America, so to speak, by some standards, because I'm a straight, white, conservative male, right? So it's like it's all our fault. But and I, I say that in jest, right? Not not in you know anything you know like that. But it was it was really hard for me to accept privilege, right? Yeah. Because I grew up poor. Like we we always joked that I grew up so poor that we couldn't afford the extra O and the R. Um, and and you know when I look back, we we lived in filth. Um, it was embarrassing, um, but. So growing up, you know, I did the math and through like my immediate family and, you know, my aunts and uncles, their kids and my grandparents um, on both sides. So roughly about 30, 30 people. Um, I am one of three other people that have a college degree. Everybody else is barely out of high school. Some of them never graduated high school. Um, but I actually got my degree and, and I got my degree because the same reason Freddie got his degree is because we were both involved in a ministry. We got a scholarship, you know? So when, uh, when this whole ordeal, uh, at least for me, when it really come, got on the scene of, Hey, you just got white privilege, which like probably 10 years ago or so when it really started blowing up, um, I was like, no way, dude, I, I worked my ass off to get where I am. Yeah. You know, I I didn't get any handouts. I, I wasn't, I didn't have a, a buddy of my dad's that got me into a, some fraternity that got me some high paying job right out of college. You know, I had to work my ass off. So that that's one of the things where I, um, where I think is a challenge for so many other white folks is the very definition of privilege and whether it's, it's the official definition like Ron was mentioning earlier, which I loved his response. Um, to the first question but you know a lot of people are taught you know you're privileged when you are you know the son of a doctor the son of a lawyer the daughter of a, of a son or, or the daughter of a, of a son a lawyer or a doctor um, where you don't have to worry about it you live in the nice neighborhood you drive cars that are like you know two years old you know you don't ever have to go uh, ask for money uh, for lunch to buy your lunch at school um, so I think that's why so many people have a challenge accepting that there's privilege. Um, one of the things that I've learned, uh, I'm, I'm so richly blessed uh, in many ways, but one of the ways that I love it, so I live in Northeast Plano, uh, which is just a, a north suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth area. And we're a very, I mean, it, it's ranked one of the highest cities in the nation, all that bunch of stuff, because it's a really good suburb. But in my neighborhood, it, it's a nice neighborhood, but on my street of uh, probably 70 houses, 50, 60 houses, yeah. um, I am one of like three couples or three families that are white. So we have so many different nationalities, like both of my neighbors on either side are Middle Eastern. I've got African-American uh, family that's right across the road that they're some of my favorite uh, friends around the neighborhood. So I've been I've been able to spend time with with my that my black family over there, uh, John and his older boys, um, and they've explained to me like how it is. And I've heard stories from the oldest son who's a who's going to be a senior at uh, University of Arkansas in fall. He you know he said some of the same things same things that you've said, Freddie. It's like 
you go on a bike ride and you're immediately like, how the hell do you live here? Right. All because the color of his skin. And, you know, I've got a three-year-old son. When we start teaching him how to drive, um, I'm going to go through the same kind of thing that my dad taught me how to uh, deal with police officers when you get pulled over. You know, like, be respectful. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, man. No, ma'am. Um, no sudden movements. Uh, turn the dome light on if it's dark. Put your wallet out. Put your hand on the steering wheel. All, all the same stuff that almost everybody would tell you. But here's the difference. And this this is pivotal. Like, this is so important. The reason I was taught to do that is because my dad said, you don't want to go to jail because you're an idiot. What my boy, what my buddies across the road, um, and I'm sorry I'm kind of emotional about this, but my my neighbor had to teach his boys the same exact thing, but it's because he didn't want to get them shot. Yeah. And that is so different. Like, who cares if a kid goes to jail for a night because he he made a stupid choice and called the cop a name, right? Right. That can be rectified. A kid getting shot because he said the wrong thing, because he's nervous, because who doesn't get nervous when you get pulled over by a cop? Like, I think that's one of the things where privilege comes in. It's it's the simple fact of the matter of things that I don't have to worry about because of the color of my skin. You know, and if, if people can start accepting that, it starts leading to the greater acceptance of, just like what you were saying, Freddie, like the years and decades and the laws that were put into place laws that had to be put into place and the systematic racism that we've got if we can get people to just understand the fact that when we say privilege it doesn't mean that you got a silver spoon right yeah it just means you 99 percent out of at the time don't have to worry about getting shot when you get pulled over for for running a stoplight right i think if we can start that people would start getting it. Thank you, Curtis. I appreciate that, man. I, I do appreciate that. Um, I want to read something that uh, Anna shared with me. It was a uh, an image, and I've seen this before because it was posted on Facebook, and you always have individuals that they, they it's either they don't get it or they don't want to get it, and they double down on it. And this is one of those, because it says, what is privilege? And, and, and it goes on to say, Privilege is wearing $200 sneakers when you've never had a job. Privilege is wearing $300 Beats headphones while living on public assistance. Privilege is having a smartphone with a data plan which you've received no bill for. Privilege is living in public subsidized housing where you don't have a water bill, where rising property taxes and rent and energy costs have absolutely no effect on the amount of food you can put on your table. Privilege is the ability to go march against and protest against anything that triggers you without worrying about calling out of work and the consequences that accompany such behavior. Privilege is having as many children as you want, regardless of your employment status, and be able to send them off to daycare or school you don't pay for. And uh, my response to that was like immediately... Um, I think this person doesn't understand what privilege is because, you know, we, we talked about this. I'm a, I'm a music teacher. And at my school, we have individuals that wear 
Jordan, and they they wear the top notch shoes, and they always have some. You know, they have um, the AirPods, and they don't have the knockoff ones. They actually have the you know the expensive AirPods. They have the iPhones. They have Samsung Galaxy. They have all the fancy phones and all this stuff, whatever. And you can look at these kids, and some of them don't live in the best neighborhoods. You could say, oh well, you know, oh this is a privilege that this woman's talking about. First off, we don't know their situation. We don't know who's paying for this. We don't know any of that. You can't put that on a kid. You have no idea what, you know, maybe a family member or even a friend of the family or something like that wanted to do something nice for the kids because they know that there are other things that they won't have, like a meal or something like that. But it's a gift. They wanted to do something nice for these kids. Why would you shame someone for what they have, first off? Even if they did have $300 headphones, okay, that's fine. That's on them. Like, who the hell do you think you are for you to sit there and criticize somebody for something that someone else has? Because then you want to turn around and say, oh, this is what a privilege is. No, that's not a privilege. It's a gift. And even if they do have it, that's none of your business. You know what isn't a privilege? That individual who's walking with those headphones on or whatever, who then gets slammed on the ground by someone who does not know how to handle someone. You know, and I'm not saying all cops are bad. And I have to, I have to preface this because when I say the things that I'm saying, I don't want people to think I'm, uh, I'm anti-cop because I'm not. And you know, and I, I can't believe I'm going to say this on the flip side, but I have to say this. My clo- one of my closest friends uh, is a cop, Curtis. You know, Brandon is, is like he's he's one of the you know one of the nicest dudes we know is in law enforcement. Yep. And I would trust him with my life at any point in time. And I know he would shut things down if, if things ever got bad. I trust him. He's one of the good ones. And that's the thing. The majority of people in law enforcement are good, but there are bad apples out there. And there would be individuals who will not sit there and, and, and take too long of an individual walking down the street, not listening to him with headphones on or whatever, trying to get him to stop and then take matters into their own hands. It happens. So, but you see that it won't be an individual that's, you know, that's white that that happens to, unfortunately. But these things that they're missing, going going down the list where it says privilege is the ability to go march against and protest against anything that triggers you without worrying about calling out of work and the consequences that accompany such behaviors. Like, for a lot of us to have the rights we have, even with, you know, um, being able to sit at the front of the bus, people boycotted that. People, like, like the only way that they had to get to their jobs and they decided not to get on the bus because they were willing to make a statement. They sat in these restaurants and got arrested. They were hit with fire hoses, like all these things. They got hit with the attack dogs and stuff like that. They weren't doing it for privilege. That's not a damn privilege. That's someone fighting for privileges, fighting for rights that they should already have. And like, yeah, like I said, these laws that got put in place should have never had to be put in place to begin with if we were all treated the same. If we were all uh, looked at in the image of God that we are all equal and that we are all his children. But they didn't do that. So you can't sit there and throw that and say, like, this whole list of things is a crock of shit. This is really bad. And it's, it's frustrating that people eat this up and they will like it and they will share it and this will be their point of view and they'll be like, this is exactly right. This is so true. And anyone who disagrees with me or whatever, um, I don't even know what to do. You can fill in the blank there. But like, it, it's extremely frustrating to me that these things circulate. And this is what's causing the divide. Not the people protesting. The individuals protesting are sick and tired of people dying. And those individuals that are willing 
to their health and their lives and their jobs is not doing it from a position of privilege. They're doing it for others to have the same rights that they do. And that's the end of episode one. I want to say thank you to Ron and Curtis for their contributions to the episode. And thank you to Brian for his uh, introduction to the series. Uh, please stay tuned because we're just going to you know, continue from here. We only scratch the surface when it comes to this content. Uh, if you will, please do me a favor. If you haven't done so already, like and subscribe to the podcast. Please like You Didn't Ask For My Opinion on Facebook. And if you're interested, please join us at World and Worship, which is a group that we have. It's an online uh, chat community that we have here on Facebook. And uh, we talk about a lot of things. It's uh, It's been some really good conversation and we're only, only getting started. It's only going to get better from here. Thank you all for being a part of this and we'll see you next time.